Thank you, Lord. God, we want to give you praise this morning, God. We, got, we desire to give you praise through all that we do, Lord, through all of our lives, God. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. God, we just ask that you would help us, Lord, this morning to, Lord, just to be so aware of your love, Lord God. Lord, for any hardness in our heart that we have allowed to, to develop, Lord God, I just pray this morning, Lord, by your Spirit, Lord, as I share, as, as you minister to us this morning, Lord, through your Word, I just pray, God, that you would just soften our hearts, Lord God. Give us such a tender heart towards you, towards one another. Lord God, that you would just be, help us to be so sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading. We thank you for everything you've done for us, that we have the victory in you. We give you thanks and praise and praise and praise and praise and praise you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We have an awesome God, and it's so good to get together and worship God. I encourage you to come along if you can to that 24 hours of prayer. We're going to have some... Uh, some hour blocks of, of just praise and worship times that if you want to come in and join us just for those hours or half an hour or it's so good to get together and just to worship God. Um, so good. All right. Uh, thank you, Lord. This morning, I just wanted to say, I always get asked if I don't say, where was Rochelle? Um, she's away at a pastor's wives and lady pastor's retreat timeout camp. And I, actually, she rang me yesterday and said, it's lovely, we're just sitting here having coffee. I'm like, good on you, thank you, Lord. God is good, and he gives rest to, to us all if we listen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to try and be brief this morning. We're a little short on time. A few of you did, actually said to me before church, you have to go early, so please feel free. We, you don't need a late pass to come into church. You don't need a ticket to go early if you need to go, so... God is good, we're going to get into his word, and uh, thank you, Jesus. I want to ask you a question, and uh, it's a question I may have asked you before at uh, church, but have you ever, oops, I think I just turned that off, turn it back on, have you ever fallen in love? Have you ever had a crush? You know, grade two, when you saw that girl across the room? Uh, sorry, that's, uh, we had a really interesting discussion on the bus on the way home from Implant, and all the guys are going, no, you can't share those stories. I'm not going to, it's okay. But uh, we were playing an interesting game about, the, one of the questions was about this, but um, what does it mean to fall in love? What does it mean to, 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 to fall in love? Does it mean you look across the room and you go, wow, that person looks amazing? Does it mean you, you talk with someone and you're like, oh, I love the way they talk, or I love the way they listen to me? Probably that's more true for most of us most of the time. Um, but it's, what is it to fall in love? Is it an emotional feeling? Like, what is it? We could talk all day about that, but that's not where I want to go. I heard another quote through the week that marriage, which love and marriage, they kind of go together, don't they? Marriage is all about, he didn't say love, marriage is all about grace and forgiveness. I thought that is a I like that quote. Marriage is all about grace and forgiveness because love shows grace and forgiveness and God help us to show that in our marriages. Anyway, if you've ever fallen in love, you got to that point, you were 14, 15, 17, 21, 23, however, maybe, who knows, six, whatever, um, you, you, you had that desire inside you to get to know this person more. But there's a, there's a awkward tension, isn't there, of thinking, I would do anything for this person, but I don't know if they like me. You know that feeling? It's like you would buy 
a million roses for that person. But you know if you gave them one, they might shove it back in your face and say, get lost, I don't like you. You're like, whoa. It's an awkward tension in that moment. And uh, probably if you're in that place and you're not sure, it might be good to sort of, as you're walking somewhere, to sort of say, oh, look at those beautiful flowers. Just, just point them out. Just point out some flowers. Don't, don't buy them until you're there. Anyway. <clears throat> Maybe some of you didn't have this awkwardness. I don't know. Was it just me? Anyway. You don't want to chase them away with your pursuit of them, but you want to show your feelings for that person. But you know, everything changes the moment you get engaged. And those who are engaged said, Amen. And when you get married, everything changes. Because no longer are you wondering if this person likes you. No, wonder, no longer are you wondering, uh, are they going to turn me away? You get married and you vow to, to love and to cherish each other until death do you part. And that's an awesome thing to pledge to each other. It's an awesome thing to come together in marriage, to know that you're committed yourselves to one another and, and you can buy as many roses as you want Hear that, guys? We, we can buy as many roses as we want. We can buy as many chocolates as we want. We have the right to love this person and they've committed to love and to cherish one another. Now, sadly, we know that's not always the case, that in marriage, things don't always continue in that loving and cherishing. And whether it's ending in divorce or whether it's ending in just relationship breakdown, it causes so much grief. It causes so much sadness within relationships. Um, working in a school as a chaplain, I, I see so many kids who are just angry and, and relationship break, breakdown causes so much pain. But in marriage, we shouldn't have to wonder if we can show our love for one another. God's plan is that we come together in marriage, that we do show love to one another, that we do speak words of love, that we show acts of love, that we, that we have spend time together, that we show physical affection to one another. But tragically, many times, it doesn't happen. It doesn't continue that pursuit of our, our spouse after the engagement, the wedding, and marriage and life goes on, and that pursuit can sometimes stop. But God's plan is that we continue to pursue and love one another. I hadn't planned to talk on marriage when I began this message when I was planning, but here we go. The, the, Bible, the Bible talks about so often that God and his people are like the bride. His people, in the Old Testament we read about Israel, his bride. And the New Testament, the, the church, his bride that he's coming back for. And we read about God, the, the, the groom who pursues his beloved. He pursues his bride. He, he does everything for his beloved so that she be, could be clean and washed and, and presented beautiful and spotless. And we should see this, this story continue through the whole of the Bible of God as the, the groom pursuing his bride, the people of the earth, that they would know his love, that they would respond to his love, that they would, that would understand his love. But so often, we forget his love. Last Sunday, we had a, a fantastic presentation from Celebrate Messiah, Lawrence Hirsch. And if you missed it, you miss all the visuals on the podcast, but still, go back and listen. Uh, it was so good and helping us understand how the Passover 
all what it means and how it points to Christ, how it reminds us of what happened, but also points to Jesus. It reminds us of what he's done, what he's going to do, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and just the, the symbolism that reminds us of who God is is fantastic. This morning I want to read, after that Passover, that original Passover, and the, the plagues that happened, the Passover, uh, they painted the blood on the, their door frames, and, and the angel of death killed every firstborn son of the Egyptian homes. But then we read in Exodus 12, I just want to turn there. It says, Pharaoh sent Moses and Aaron during the night. So this is when there is death everywhere throughout Egypt. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you said, and be gone. And I find this next bit so interesting. But bless me as you leave. He's like, get out, I don't want to have anything to do with you, but whoever your God is, I want his blessing, please. And it goes on, all the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, we will all die. The Israelites took their bread dough before the yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. Don't you love the detail there? It's like, don't you just picture it all? It's like... Um, Andrew grabbed his breadboard, wrapped it up in his cloaks and carried it on the shoulders. I love last week how Lawrence brought out that this is his people. This is his ancestors. And we got such a sense through the whole presentation of this isn't just some people the Bible talks about. This is, these are people that lived on this earth. And those of you who've been to Israel are all nodding your heads going, yeah, amen, it was fantastic. We'll continue. Verse 35, And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed they asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the, the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. And just reading on, I just want to point out a few passage, short verses over the next couple of chapters. It says in Exodus 13, verse 17, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. I think sometimes we look at our lives and think, God, why didn't you take me on the shortest route to the promised land? God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. In other words, if they face an army and they have to fight, they're going to just run back to Egypt because they think it's easier. I'm going to lead them in a way where they cannot go back. And we go on to Exodus 14. It says, When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done? Letting all those Israelite slaves get away. I think it was probably lunchtime, and he's kind of like, Where's my lunch? Maybe. <laughs> they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. That says in Exodus 14, verse 10, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have we done? Uh, what have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And one more, uh, sorry, no. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians will see you today 
The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And we see that they, they, they pass through the waters of the Red Sea. They, they, God said, if, if you go and you have to fight someone, you're just going to run back to Egypt. So God thinks, okay, I'll pass them through the Red Sea. And then there's no going back because they can't go back. They've, they've left that old life. They've entered into the new life of, of trusting in me. And despite the fears, the, the concerns, the worries they're going to have, they're going to know that I have delivered them. And in a sense, baptism is a little bit like that passing through the waters. We, we pass through the waters. We say, no, that is my old life back in captivity to sin. It has been buried. I've passed through those waters. I've been saved by Jesus Christ. And there is no going back. Jesus has won the victory. Amen. And time and time and time and time again, God shows his love. God shows his grace. He shows his power, his strength, his mercy to his people. Throughout the, the, the whole of history, we see God showing his grace, his love, his power, his mercy. And still, time after time, we see God's people, the people that he has created, saying, but does he truly love us? God, why have you allowed this to happen? God, if you're a loving God, why did you let this happen? So many people turn to that, that, that question and say, God, why, why, why? Do you really love us? God, can we truly trust you? Can we truly trust you? But God delivers his people time after time after time, again and again and again, despite the way they rebel, despite the way they, they say, God, you must hate us. He delivers them. And we read in Exodus 14, verse 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. And then we read that Moses sings and the people of Israel sing with him. I will sing a song to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. He knows us. He is our God. We know him. He is good and we will praise him. And they're so excited to worship God and thank him for his love and his grace and his mercy. But then by not even the next chapter, the end of that chapter, it says the people begin to complain. They're complaining and they're saying, God, why have you done this? We've got no water to drink. And then they have water and then it's bitter. And they're saying, God, you've brought us out here to die. Why have you done this to us? And again, over the next Chapter after chapter after chapter, and you probably say book after book after book, you see God's people saying, God, do you really love us? God, why have you done this? Can we really trust you, God? He invites them to enter the promised land. He says, come, enter the land of milk and honey. I have given you the victory. You can enjoy and dwell in this land. And they say, no way. It's, there's too many enemies there. We'll be defeated. And they disobey him. 
And then he says, well, tell you what, walk in the wilderness for 40 years and then you can go in. They're like, no, no, sorry, God, we'll go today. And they disobey him again. And time and time again, we see God's people being unsure whether they can trust God. And yet God is gracious. The book of Hosea is all about God saying that his people have been like an unfaithful wife that goes to all the other men instead of going to his, her, 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 her groom, instead of going to the one that loves them, that has committed themselves. His bride goes out looking for, for life and love in all the other places and says, come to me, come to me. I've, I've done all that you need. I have all that you need. And throughout history, I praise God, there has always been some who have remained faithful. There has always been some that have known the gospel, that have proclaimed the truth of who Jesus is. But like Lawrence shared last week about the Passover, he was talking about the things that they do and the things that Jesus was a part of on that Passover. But how the original Passover was different. They had added things to the Passover the Jewish people, and that they'd turned into that that Passover meal into so many laws of things you, that had to be done, and they're, they're, there's probably good intent in parts of that, but what was meant to be a blessing almost became a, a burden in so many ways, and legalism takes what God has done, what God has said and turns it, what should be a blessing into a burden. They get legalistic. Their trust shifts. You know, they made these laws so that they wouldn't disobey God's commands. But their trust became in, in obeying their laws and not in depending on, on remembering and giving praise to God for what He's done. The heart of what they were doing, maybe some had the right heart. But we can turn God's commands into laws that we think if we just do all these things, God will be pleased with us. But his heart is that we would respond to what he has done, that we would be faithful and, and honour him for what he has done. And they lose their peace, their joy, their strength. We lose our peace, our joy and our strength if our trust shifts from Jesus to any other thing. If we say, yeah, we, we, we trust in Jesus, but if I don't read my Bible day after day, God's going God's to... Gonna, come down on me and life's going to be bad again until I get back and, and do those things. We can get so legalistic about the things that we might try and do for God. But then there's the other end of the scale. Some get arrogantly complacent. And in a sense, Saul got arrogantly complacent. He's waiting for the, the, the prophet to, to come and he's waiting for the sacrifice to be made. And instead he says, you know what, he's not here, Look, I'm just going to make it, this will be good enough, I'm just going to do what the priest should do. I'm going I'm to make the sacrifice. And God says, no, you have disobeyed my commands. I think it was Samson, who, who got up to do what he'd always done before. He, he just got up to do and say, I've done this before, I can, I can defeat these guys, I can throw these guys off. But he didn't realise God had left him. His, his, his trust was in what he thought he could do, because he'd always done this. He got arrogantly complacent. 
But I think we can go either way. We can get legalistic and say, oh, we've got to do all these things for God so that he'll be pleased with us. Or we can say, God is pleased with us. He's, he's washed us in a way. We can kind of just do whatever we feel like now. It's all good. God does, God, God's not an angry God. He's a just, loving God. And we can get arrogantly complacent. And either spec- end of the spectrum is dangerous. You know, Passover, the, all of the feasts, communion for us today, all of these things have been established by God as a blessing for us, to be a blessing, to remind us of what God has done, to remind us of what Jesus did for us upon the cross, and not to be a burden. You know, we can get so legalistic about the ways that we worship. We can get so legalistic about the things that we should do. But God has said simply, love God, love people. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus and you will be saved. I want to read what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, in verse 1 to 8. It says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had, been, had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. That was not God's way. The scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. You work, you earn a wage. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described, what, described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy! What joy! What joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, not covered or earned forgiveness from, but is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has rid of sin. Just going down to verse 13, it says, Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. Imagine again, just thinking again of, of that, that bride and groom relationship. We are not God's bride because we obey every law and every command. We are not joined to Him as His bride because of our obedience. We are joined to Him by faith and in His love. We are joined to Him in faith and trust in, in His goodness. That despite our sin, despite what He has done, that His blood has washed us and we are clean and He has accepted us as we are. What joy for us who know that Jesus has saved us and, and chosen to make us his bride. Verse 15 says, For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. I just want to read two more verses in chapter 5. It's, uh, sorry, a couple of verses before that. 
Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Have you heard that? God counted Abraham righteous because of his faith. He says it a few times. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us, you and me, that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ did or will, has, no, not will, it has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Praise be to God, we now stand with Christ. We now stand as his bride. We now stand forgiven and righteous in his sight because of Jesus as we put our faith in him. It's done, it's finished. We can confidently and joyfully look forward to that day when we can join him in in heaven forever. We know we have struggles and trials in this life, but we have relationship with the living God. He's done it all. We have the victory in him. You know, when I was getting to know Rochelle, there was a point when I, I had this question. I thought, are we just really good friends? Are we really good friends or is, it, is, there, is there something more? Is it, is it just like, a, it's like, hey, you're my bro. And I'm like, yeah, I was hoping you might be more than that. <laughs> there was a point where I, I, I asked the question, I started thinking, or didn't say, are you like a brother or is this, anyway. But uh, I started to wonder if I gave her flowers at that point, she may not have accepted them. If I gave her flowers at that point, she might have been like, oh, hang on, we're just like friends. This is, don't go there. But then she married me. And I have the freedom to buy her flowers anytime I want. And she says, amen, except she's not here. (laughs) But you know, we so quickly get discouraged and distracted by our failures. We get so discouraged and distracted and dismayed and... We become captives to our thinking. You know, I, I do the wrong sometimes, the wrong thing sometimes. I, I, I hurt Rochelle. I, I say things. I, I, I do things. I don't do things. And we hurt one another. And we so quickly become trapped by our thoughts that oh, maybe they don't love me the same way anymore. Maybe if I gave them flowers today, they'd shove them back in my face today. That's never happened. Thank you, Lucius. But we become captives to our own thinking, and I think we can do the same with God. We stumble, we, we trip, we, we, we fumble along in our journey, and we think, maybe God doesn't love me the same anymore. Maybe, maybe, maybe God doesn't even want me to pray to him today because he doesn't want to listen. 
that God has paid the price for your sin. He loves you. There is no weapon formed against you that shall prosper. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus. You don't have to wonder if God's love is for you. You do not have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to question if he's still loving you. He's calling us to come be his bride. Don't go running after other things, other people trying to find life, trying to find joy and peace. Come to me, he says. Anyone who carries heavy burden, if you're weary, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me, I will give you strength. Come to me, I love you. You are my bride and I love you. He wants us to trust him and he wants us to enjoy life with him. To know that he is our saviour in every moment that we put on that helmet of salvation and whatever thoughts that might come, that we would have that helmet of salvation guarding our minds and knowing, yes, I am a, a child of God. Jesus died for my sin. And despite all these things, I am victorious through Christ who loves me. The battle has been won and we do not have to do a thing. He simply calls us to put our faith in Jesus. It's by faith that we are counted as righteous. Now, in a marriage, you're you're married the moment you get married. And you don't have to do a thing to be married. But, I want to point out, if you want to have a great marriage, you probably should do some things. If you just sit on the couch and wait for your husband to cook dinner every night, you... I'm going to be really careful here. If we do nothing to show our love for our spouse, what kind of marriage is that? And if we want to grow in intimacy, if we want to have a great relationship with God, there are ways to develop that, to pray, to come together and and, and worship, to, to read God's Word, to spend time with Him, to come together at church and, and, and encourage one another and meet with other believers. And it builds us up. I want to share a story I heard through the week about a guy who was, uh, it was his 49th wedding anniversary. Actually, as I share this, I'll ask the band to come because we're out of time. It was his 49th wedding anniversary and he's right, right, what am I going to do? He goes out and he buys 50 roses because this is their 50th year of marriage. And he, he goes to the door, he's carrying this beautiful big bunch of red roses. Actually, I think I've got a picture of them there. There we are, just because some people are visual and you'll remember if I, I put them up there. He's got this beautiful big bunch of roses and he walks up to the door and he knocks on the door and he just waits there. And his wife comes to the door, she opens the door and he hands the roses out and says, Honey, these are for you. I was reading this book and it said that I should give you roses, so here they are. <laughs> I'm just kidding, he didn't actually say that. <laughs> But just imagine if, if, if a husband goes to the door and says, here are your 50 roses for our anniversary because the book told me I had to give you these. It's like, I think she would probably slam the door and say, come back when you've got something decent to say. Like, I think that would almost be worthy. Anyway, <laughs> there, there's no expression of love there. It's just doing what you have to do. But what he actually did was he, he got the roses, he walked to the front door, he knocked on the door and waited for her to come and said, 
honey, these are for you because even though they cost me a fortune, I couldn't go past them because I just love you so much. I, I love you. I'm so grateful for your grace, for your forgiveness, that even though I mess up so many times, that you, keep, you still keep loving me. You've chosen to spend your life with me. You've committed your life to me. And I just want to say thank you for loving me. Can you imagine the different response? Now, God doesn't require that we do anything to be joined with Him as His body, as His bride. All we have to do is have faith. But think of the difference in relationship. Think of the difference in joy in that relationship. I think there would have been a lot of joy and intimacy in that second relationship more than that first relationship that day. Because life comes in intimate relationships and you could probably take that analogy further, but I won't. And we don't have to come to church. You don't have to read the Bible. You don't even have to pray. It's the Bible says it's through faith that we are saved. But if we want to live life with God, we will respond. Faith in Jesus changes us. And James says, faith without works is dead. But are we fostering that relationship with Jesus? Will we come to Him with that bunch of roses and just say, here's the bunch of roses. I'm supposed to like worship you. I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to go to church. I'm supposed to read the Bible. So here it is, God. There you go. Or will we just come and say, God, I am so thankful. I am so thankful for your grace, for your mercy, for your undeserved favour upon me. And I just want to say thank you for your love. And I believe joy will fill our hearts. Joy will fill God, our Father's heart, as we just bring our life before Him. I'm going to finish by singing this song, Reckless Love. If you didn't hear the message where I talked about that phrase, reckless love, I encourage you to go back a few weeks and, and listen to that podcast. Because God has an amazing, reckless, extraordinary love for us. And He simply desires that we come to Him with faith and just say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. So can we stand? And can we sing this as a response to Jesus today? say thank you Jesus that because of your death because of your resurrection we can live we can have forgiveness and life and we thank you today in Jesus name Amen